On this episode of the Sportstone Podcast, we review the Liverpool and Chelsea match. Match day one of the Premier League finished one all. Let's get into the positives, the issues, uh, the tactical intricacies and how the match unfolded. First, Liverpool set up with their um, sort of normal out of possession for 3-3. Um, which turns into a 3-box-3, three three, or a 3-2-2-3. Three, two, two, three. Uh, I guess uh, the only surprise, perhaps, with the with the lineup would have been the fact that Cody Gagpo was the, the left 8, um, which Klopp said in the press conference. His, his role was to be a number 8, a left-sided number 8. Uh, I perhaps probably would have gone with Curtis Jones. Uh, I, I just felt Gagpo was perhaps a bit too attacking for the lineup, the, the, sorry, the opposition we were playing against, and especially away from home. Um, but yeah, that, that's what Liverpool went from up front. They went with Diego Jota, uh, Luis Diaz, Mohamed Salah, and then McAllister Soboslai supporting Gagpo in the midfield. Soboslai is the right number eight. McAllister acting as the pivot, the number six. Uh, the back line was regulation. Robertson, Van Dijk, Konate, Trent Alexander-Arnold, with Alisson in goal. Chelsea and Pochettino. Interesting lineup. It, it isn't what we've seen throughout preseason. We haven't seen uh, three at the back with two wing-backs in preseason from Chelsea. We've just seen normal 4-2-3-1, where usually Caldwell, Silva, Chilwell, James, De Sassi also played. Um, and Pochettino in the in the press conference said it was a 4-2-3-1 out of possession, um, and it was essentially a, a 3-5-2, or you could even say a 3-6-1 uh, at times um, in attack. Basically, the, the rationale behind this was that they wanted... They wanted James, and they wanted Reese James and Ben Chilwell as as wingers in attacking transition to exploit the compactness of Liverpool's box midfield. And uh, I think it's actually very interesting what Pochettino has done and, and very tactically astute. We have to think about the purpose of a box midfield, or we have to think sort of conceptually what a box midfield looks to achieve. Uh, I think different teams use the box midfield in different ways but if you think sort of numerically and tactically a box midfield you have what you have essentially five players in attacking zones in the center of the park you have the double pivot you have the the two eights which form the the top the top side of the box and then you have the, the center forward and perhaps in a high line you might even have the center backs behind them so there is a, a sense of compactness in in midfield um especially with the way liverpool play with mohammed salah and luis diaz often cutting inside so even they are um often occupying central zones which means that liverpool at times don't have width and whilst uh, gagpo and sobaslai look to provide width um, and the overlaps with Trent Alexander-Arnold in, in, inverting now and Robertson not pushing up as, as much Liverpool are, are lo- sort of lost that I guess that essence of width that they had that the fullbacks used to provide because of the shift in the box midfield so then what Pochettino saw and what Chelsea saw is that in transition the best way to exploit Liverpool would be to have players out wide would be to have Chilwell and James out wide because Liverpool would struggle with their compact structure to um to sort of nullify the wider options, and I also think it was it was a decision made with Liverpool's out of possession structure as well. The four three three out of possession is quite compact. Gagpo, Silverstein, and McAllister uh, occupy the, the central zones. Uh, often Trent and and Robertson are left isolated, um, and Diaz and Salah try to help as much as 
help out as much as they can, but not much. They, they don't help um, that much. So essentially, I think there were three rationales to sort of summarize Chelsea's decision with um, the 3-5-2 in attack. First rationale, exploit Liverpool in transition because um, because of the compactness of the box midfield. The second was uh, exploit Liverpool's compactness in an outer position structure. And the third, um, I think being that it, it meant Liverpool's press was easier to break out of with the wider options. I think this perhaps may have been the biggest issue of the of the match for Liverpool. Um, they were... So how Liverpool's press works, for, for those that don't know, the front line is usually occupied with pressing the back line. And in this case, um, Chelsea's sort of 3-1 build-up, which the three centre-backs and Gallagher. So that's what the front line is tasked with pressing. The The midfield is tasked with pressing any of the, any of the midfielders that come up deep into the half to um, sort of help help progress the first phase build up and the the back line um, tasked with the attackers and they step up uh, as necessary so what Chelsea then did is that because Liverpool's front line were tasked to press with the the 3-1 which is the three center backs and Gallagher they what they would do is they would often call Enzo deep next to Gallagher creating a 3-2 build up and the Gagpo would have to sort of follow Enzo um, but because he's following him, Enzo, and Enzo has such great control and such great first-touch passing ability, even if Gagpo was on him, he would be able to get a pass on. What they would do, they'd go to Enzo, or they'd go to Gallagher, and they'd play a first-time pass out to one of the wing-backs, because there is no one there. Because Luis Diaz is occupied with pressing one of the centre-backs, and Andy Robertson uh, is sort of holding the back line. So then what would happen is that Robertson would either um, step up to, to mark James, because he's, he's left unmarked, and then Sterling would be free. Um, similarly, down the left-hand side, it would be it would be Chilwell, and at times um, Chukameka, or um, sometimes even Jackson making the run through the left space. And so the best way to sort of nullify this for Liverpool would have been for Luis Diaz and Mohamed Salah to sort of drop off and just man-mark Rhys James and and Ben Chilwell. But obviously the issue with this is a one, Liverpool aren't pressing anymore. So then possession becomes an issue, and sort of the way they want to play with counter-press and high-pressing and then exploit oppositions and vulnerable positions can't occur. But two, they also have, then have their sort of two attacking, major attacking outlets in Mohamed Salah and Luis Diaz, who probably had the, the most attacking impact in the game as well. Um, you have the men marking someone, and you have them much deeper in your own half, which means they're much more defensively occupied and perhaps then their attacking transition or just their attacking involvement won't be as high as you want it to be. So basically what was constantly occurring is that Chelsea were constantly being able to break Liverpool's press with the wider fullbacks and Reese James and Chilwell were essentially able to create numerical superiority and overloads down the flanks, um, especially Reese James. Reese James troubled, troubled Liverpool a lot because of how involved Sterling was. What Sterling would do, constantly moving with his feet, constantly sort of running running at the defence with the ball, and what that does, it draws players out and when players are drawn out, what are the, the gaps in behind? So then James would make in the run in behind, and the Sterling would make another run in behind. So constantly down that right-hand side, um, Chelsea's right-hand side, Liverpool's left-hand side, um, Liverpool being caught out, and it looked pretty badly on Robertson. Um, to be, to be, I think it was a bit harsh on Robertson, I, I think to an extent it was just a tactical uh, tactical mechanism that Liverpool couldn't deal with. It. Robertson was pretty strict with his rest-defense role on on Sunday. But yeah, I think Robertson fronts up his body quite a bit. Um, at times, he's not in the, the sturdy and sort of um, necessary defensive position that a, a left-sided centre-back or a left-back needs to be in. 
but yeah, so Chelsea would just play over the top at times as well. So they'd have a 3-2 build-up, but at times of the centre-backs would just play a ball over the top to Reese James because they knew that there was no one there. Um, and then what this did is when the press is broken, then Liverpool have to get into settled settled possession or settled defence, as they say. So now they have to transition from this high press or this high, high counter press when they have sort of uh, bodies swarming players and there's no necessary, like, there's a necessary shape. It's just... Um, I guess, organized chaos, probably the best way to define it. Um, then they have to get back into his 4-3-3 set of defense with P- McAllister as a sole pivot, Sobosla and Gagpo supporting him um, for the back, Diaz and Salah looking to track back to, to sort of help the overloads. Um, but they're a little part too compact. So then now they're, they're, they're quite narrow and they're not they're, they're struggling to sort of fill, fill the wider gaps and they're struggling to f- win balls as well. And I think that's the issue with sort of McAllister at six. Um, while I, at times I thought he did well, he's not an immense, I think, ball winner in a pivot. I think he's a good ball winner in a press. I think perhaps he's a good ball winner in a counter press. Probably not even that good. But I don't think he's a great ball winner in, in, in a pivot. He's not great at duels per, per se. Um... So basically, the midfield couldn't mop up the defensive mess, and then Diaz and Salah weren't giving off enough support to sort of the fullbacks in the wider, wider gaps, and this just constantly led Liverpool to to be caught out, um, and and it wasn't great. I think the other rationale behind the four-two-three-one out of possession for Chelsea. So you got to think of it this way: they turned into back four, Reese James occupying the right, um, Colwell sort of occupying left back, such sort of between just a half space between left centre back and and um. And um, left back, Desassi and and Silva uh, occupying the central central defender positions. So what Chilwell's role was, he essentially man marked Trent. What well, Pochettino said this in, in, in the post match interview. He said that um, Chilwell would just tuck in inside out of position because we knew Trent would come in inside. So the way Chelsea addressed that numerical superiority in box midfield that Liverpool try to create is that, like we're just gonna get Chilwell to follow you. And um, you would have Chukamaka man-marking McAllister at times, and then Gallagher and Enzo quite tight to Gagpo and Silberslai, but ultimately they did operate uh, as a double pivot. So yeah, that, that's how Chelsea s- sort of set up, and that's why Liverpool struggled so much in um, after sort of the first 20-30 minutes um, in sort of controlling one Chelsea's possession, but just controlling these sort of wider wider areas where Chelsea would just have so much numerical superiority and just look so threatening down. It's because... There sort of wasn't a solution found to that. I, I think, I think Klopp at a time at times had to had to find a solution. I, I think he probably had to sacrifice. I think he had to sacrifice Luis Diaz. If I'm being honest, uh, I think maybe a four four two would have perhaps um, a four four two out of possession would have perhaps been a bit more advisable. Put Luis Diaz on the side of Reese James um, with Chilwell. Perhaps um, you can maybe risk it and then uh, leave it to Sobosly. Because Sobosly was pretty proactive, and I think he's a bit more proactive than Gagpo in in sort of settled defence and pressing. He's just a bit more of a harder worker, and he's able to track back at a, at a quicker rate. I think that pair is sort of the solution. Or obviously, you could just do what they did against Manchester City last year in Anfield. If you remember that one 0 win, um, they they were the 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 wider players were heavily involved with marking the overloads that Manchester City created, um, and Liverpool sort of played more of a transitional game. Um, perhaps that could have been something they even tried to do um, and then Pochettino would have had to react to that but yeah I think the issue was that there wasn't a solution found to the press being broken through the wing backs um, and I think these are a few ideas of what, what could have been done by, by Jurgen Klopp
Let's focus on Cody Gagpo as a number eight. Klopp admitted in the in the in the press conference that Gagpo's role was as a left sided number eight. I would have personally gone with Curtis Jones. Um because I just think he gives you a bit more sort of defensive stability and I also think um that's what's required in in a game against Chelsea where they have a bit of attacking flair with the likes of Nicholas Jackson, Chukomeka, Sterling, James, Chilwell, Enzo even. Um they have attacking flair. So I think you need to be a bit more defensive minded. You you want to get a bit more control over the game, I think. Um although I, I don't think Agpo had a had a horrible performance. I, I think what he was good at doing was um when he received the ball deep in Liverpool's own half, he, he began the build up very well. He would sort of um he would run into space or he would pass sort of pass into he would pass into space as well. Quite direct, which at times was uh, an issue for Liverpool which I will discuss. Um but what Gakpo also did very well was occupy the, the wide spaces. It allowed Diaz to cut inside. Um but the the major issue being Gagpo's sort of inability to track back quick quick enough and it meant that Chelsea were able to play a lot of balls into the right half space um, and then from then they would be able to create the overloads with sort of Sterling um, or Sterling would sometimes be the one in, in fact in receiving the right half space but then they would be able to create, create the overloads with either Reece James or, 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 or Raheem Sterling one of them would be troubling Liverpool down that right hand side um, why did Chelsea grow into the game so much? Because in the first 15 minutes, first 20 minutes, this wasn't the case. These overloads, the press wasn't being broken as much. Um, Chelsea weren't that active in the game. Liverpool was a better side. Um, but then why did Liverpool sort of get way more boxed in? Why did they lose control of the game? Um, a few things. I think one, as Pochettino said, Chelsea grew into the system. Chelsea grew into what they were trying to do. They, they understood what they were trying to do. And I think they, they read what Liverpool were trying to do. And hence, they were now able to sort of adapt to, to Liverpool's processes. But... I also think Liverpool's shadow marking awareness and their press intensity started to drop off after the first 15 minutes, which is very scathing and very alarming. If your press intensity is going to drop off after 15 minutes, then should you be playing a pressing system? And it's very unlike a Jurgen Klopp team for their press intensity to drop off after 15 minutes. Chelsea, um, yeah, Chelsea also grow into the build-up phase, and to sort of describe the build-up phase, it was to pass central to someone at the edge of their own half, and then they would go out wide or go into the right half space. Um, they will constantly be looking for vertical balls to break the lines um, and yeah it was just that Liverpool's press wasn't able to keep up with the pace of Chelsea's build up and that constant sort of wide overload that they're finding which they didn't have an answer for because Liverpool didn't have someone pressing there um, that was just a gap that was just being exploited and, and a solution that wasn't found for that but Liverpool did the score first and it was brilliant direct play from Liverpool their goal was brilliant direct play it was first um great from sort of um, obviously McAllister and Torbus Lai but um, what I what I really liked about the goal was how Salah held the ball and just ran for a bit he held the ball and allowed he waited for Luis Diaz's run to be in a perfect position Chelsea were completely disorganized with the goal Liverpool's build up was actually in the traditional 4-3-3 which is interesting um, Trent hadn't hadn't got the time to invert yet because this was a quick conversion from sort of regaining the ball uh, to attack so Trent hadn't got the time to invert yet as said Chilwell was still on Trent on, on sort of a left wing position so he hadn't tucked into midfield yet um, so uh, there was sort of a, a bit of a gap 
um, down Sobersly's side. So Chukameka came over to cut, came over to Sobersly, uh, left McAllister open, um, which meant Enzo Fernandez had to come out of the pivot to cover. Um, and I think the main issue was that Reese James um, couldn't keep up with Luis Diaz. And so perhaps one of the ways to counter the Pochettino setup, which was to minimize the impact of the box midfield by sort of stifling Trent and showing that numerical superiority didn't inc- sort of numerical superiority didn't occur. Um, would it perhaps have been to stick with a regular 4-3-3 for periods of time? Um, vary it up, get Robertson and Trent up, provide the width, and then see how Pochettino reacts to that. Because Sobosai, McAllister, and Gakpo would have been able to thrive in, in a three-man midfield. That was fine. Attacking-wise, they're fine. Um, and it, it would have sort of varied some of the direct play as well, because they would have been able to cross more more overlaps. Um, would have been nice to see that perhaps for a bit longer. Um, because Liverpool clearly do have that tactical versatility, which is indicated by this goal. I don't think this was a conscious choice to score this goal in a 4-3-3 structure. It was just a structure they had at the time because they were playing in transition and they were playing on instinct. Um, but it was really good, and it, it, it was a great goal. I also thought Pochettino's plan for Nicholas Jackson in transition was very good. Um, everyone is aware of that of that gap that Liverpool have on Trent's side, that sort of right-hand side diagonal that teams play, or just a through ball that they play on the right-hand side of Liverpool's defence. As such, how did Pochettino set up Jackson's role? Um, Jackson would in transition, often make a run behind in that sort of occup- on in that vacant right space. Um, and with his hold-up play, such as pace, the idea was to get a counter-attack going. So he would either get the ball, hold it up, and then get sort of Chelsea's numbers and create overloads, or he would just run at Konate uh, many a time, or he would run and at Trent and get Trent to scamper. And Trent even admitted it's so hard to get back um, with... Um, with sort of the from CDM to right back, which is perhaps maybe why Liverpool were looking to sign Moises Casado, because he he operates as a right back at times, so he could sometimes may perhaps maybe transition from the pivot onto right back when Trent is caught out, and Trent can perhaps stay in the pivot. Um, many a thing to consider, but obviously that Casado deal didn't, didn't go through. But I, I just love the way Pochettino set up; he was just so tactically astute. And I think from Klopp, I, I don't know if Klopp was caught out a bit. Maybe I don't know if maybe he was expecting Pochettino to sort of stick with his identity. In the, in the pre-match press conference, he did say that, oh, I've looked at the way Chelsea played in the preseason, there are a lot of alarming similarities to the way Pochettino played at Tottenham. Um, but Pochettino did things differently in this match than he didn't do in preseason. That was solely because of the opposition that he was playing, which shows his sort of man man management and sort of game management skills. Um, I also think Pochettino ensured... I think during the game he pinpointed the, the reason Liverpool were having so much success in attack and the reason they probably could have scored three to four goals in the first 30 minutes. They had a lot of time. McAllister, Sobers, like Gagpo, Salah, they had a lot of, lot of time in the ball because um, Chilwell, Chukameka, Sterling were unable to sort of get get close to the players and the double pivot well, was a zonal double pivot so they were occupying the channels they weren't tasked with man marking um, so I, I think it was a conscious decision for Chelsea to get tighter to the likes of McAllister Salah Gagpo this ensured that there were a lot more bad touches because there was less time in the ball there was there was more pressure there were a lot more bad passes um, and this meant that Chelsea regained the ball much more and essentially from the 30th minute onwards is when Chelsea gained control of the match basically till the 80th minute perhaps in the 80th minute um, Liverpool gained a, a bit of semblance of control back which we'll discuss why why that happened in, in terms of the substitutions that occurred um, 
but yeah, so Chelsea were able to regain the ball. They were back into transition, and we know that when 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 Liverpool are defending in transition, they struggled to get into shape. Um, Gakpo struggles to get into shape. Mikasa struggles to win duels. Um, meaning Chelsea play a few few passes. They play passes into space, and all of a sudden they are through towards goal, and they are constantly sort of hammering down um, Liverpool's goal side defense. And I think Liverpool's directness also contributed to this, um, and also contributed to the fact that they had 35% possession, which I think was like the fourth lowest under Klopp that they've had, um, which is a, once again a fairly alarming stat because um, this is Liverpool 2.0, and I don't think Klopp's vision under Liverpool Reloaded or Liverpool 2.0 was to have 35% possession and ultimately lose control of the game for basically... 60 60% 70% of it I, I don't think that was that's what his vision was um but yeah, to paint the picture because Chelsea are so much tighter to the players there isn't as much space anymore so to play direct is not necessarily um the best option because there's a player on you so you have to have a perfect touch or you have to have a perfect pass um to not essentially lose the ball and a lot of Lupus passes in the second half especially were too quick they had, or they had no margin for error. That the player receiving would have to have the perfect first touch, and often they wouldn't, and so the ball would be lost. Um, McAllister, I, I think, was a standout um, sort of player that, that I think proved that point in the second half. I, I thought he had a pretty, pretty, pretty good first half. I think in the second half there were a lot of passes that McAllister tried to make that just tried to break the lines, um, and it just didn't work. It, it didn't break the lines, and all of a sudden the ball is turned over. I think there was a pass around the 70th minute which he went to break the line again, and he, and he failed, and he got so upset with himself. So basically, the reason Liverpool were boxed in, or the reason Liverpool had to defend so much in the second half, is because they just couldn't gain control of the ball, and also the overloads that Chelsea were creating. So Liverpool would always have to scamper in defence, and they were never really able to regain the ball and then sort of control the midfield through their press because the press wasn't working it was, it was being broken as we've discussed but yeah then in the, sort of the 80th or, or around the 75th minute um, Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott came in and I think this is when Liverpool gained a, a bit more semblance of control what, what they did is that Soberslice shifted to the left number 8 Harvey Elliott was in the right number 8 and Curtis Jones played in the pivot I think what Harvey Elliott displayed um I think what Harvey Elliott and Solmus, like that partnership displayed, was a uh, more eagerness and more proactiveness of set of defence. The, the gaps were a bit more tighter. Elliott would actually make a good, good sort of effort to cover the gap that Ben Chilwell left as well. So he would sort of be in flux between covering the the central right zone um, of Liverpool's defence and also go towards Chilwell and ensure that Chilwell has a bit of pressure on him. I think it helped out Trent a bit more, and I think Elliott also. I think it's sort of controlled the pace of the game a bit more, and that's something I, I want to discuss. I think in times when you're losing the ball so often, when you're playing so direct and you're so fast and you're losing the ball, I think it's common sense to then slow down the pace of the game. And I think Liverpool didn't do that well enough. I, I think in the second half, when they, they should have realised in the first 15 minutes that they didn't have the ball much. So then uh, I think for around five minutes, you just sort of you pass, I want to say safely, because uh, you don't want to do sort of side to side that sort of stuff I think you pass with a bit more caution and you look to break down the opposition a bit more you, you you sort of create impatience in the opposition structures and perhaps try to try to break them down by wearing them down and I'm, I'm not saying that's the way you're going to score the goal I'm just saying that's the way you're going to set up the goal to sort of give a boxing analogy it's sort of like you don't um you don't telegraph your right hand you, you set it up you use a few combinations you use a few movements and then you go in with the big the big weapons I think Liverpool need to gain a bit more control get Chelsea I don't know drop them deeper a bit perhaps 
perhaps drop them a bit sort of um, into a bit more of a, a settled defensive structure and keep them that for a while and then start playing with pace then start sort of um, playing a bit more direct again because the issue was it was just helter-skelter end-to-end chaos um, and at, at a stage Liverpool just were constantly defending constantly defending as Chelsea just constantly came with them because they, they couldn't keep the ball um, and so what Jones and Elliot did, I thought, was sort of play a, a bit more cautiously in passing. And at times, that's bad. I, I don't think you want to play cautiously in passing for 90 minutes, especially if you're Liverpool, because that's not your aim. You're, you're not a cautious team. You are a direct team. You are a fast-paced team. You are a team that looks to exploit vertical spaces. But to do that for 90 minutes is perhaps seemingly unsustainable. And so I thought Elliot and Jones brought that control in the game, and then Liverpool grew into the game a bit more with, with um, uh, Darwin Nunez uh, at the end. Should Mohamed Salah have been subbed off? Probably not. I, I, I don't think you sub your best player off, especially when it's one all. Um, and I, especially I thought because Salah was decently involved, but I, I don't think you can also say Klopp's rationale was wrong. He he wanted fresh legs. Um, he wanted to get energy on, so he, he went with Ben Doak, and I think Ben Doak is a bit raw and, and fresh, so perhaps he could have provided a, a different sort of situation, a different challenge for the Chelsea defence to encounter. Ultimately, he didn't get involved much, and it wasn't really a starring contribution. Um, but I'm, I I don't think it was as howler of a substitution as, as Liverpool fans are making it out to be. But uh, yeah, I, I would have personally kept Salah on. So I guess to summarise, what went wrong with Liverpool? I I think on first watch when I watched a game live, I I I went to sort of bed under three thirty for me. I went to bed with a pretty sour sour taste in my mouth. I was like, "Damn, is this how we're gonna play? Are we gonna get this dominated in midfield? Are we gonna have to defend this much? Are we gonna have this little amount of possession?" Obviously, attacking wise, I I knew we had a moment. I knew we, that we could probably even won the match. Although uh, on the converse side, we could have definitely also lost the match. When I rewatched it um, the day after, I thought. I thought it wasn't as bad as I made it out to be. I just thought it was just literally a system that we didn't adapt to, and that was the issue. It wasn't sort of an issue with what we had done preseason, the the work that we had put in. I, I thought the issue was perhaps with sort of game management. I think Klopp didn't perhaps make the solutions that were required. I think maybe the players didn't adapt perhaps to the solutions that Klopp did pass on, um, and they just couldn't adapt to those overloads out, 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 out wide, and I keep coming back to that. I, I think there is a bit more moderation required in the system. I think right now it's a bit too much chaos. Um, the word we like to use is organized chaos. I don't think it's organized chaos right now. I think it's just chaos. I think it's complete entropy, complete disorder. Um, and I think there needs to be a bit more moderation found there. I don't think that can be found until you have players in the right profile. So McAllister and Soberslai taking the eight roles, and we have a number six, and perhaps Gagpo playing as a number nine for pressing purposes, or against oppositions like Chelsea, um, which require sort of fullback transition just going up and down someone like Darwin Nunez would have also been great to sort of run in the spaces behind he also gives a bit more variety to attack so when Liverpool's attack was sort of getting shut down when Chelsea got much closer and tighter to them Nunez would have been a great option and he was a great option um, as shown in the last 15-20 minutes of the game so that perhaps could have been an option but that's hindsight so I, I don't blame the decision to start, start sort of Jota um, but I would have started one of Jota or Gagpo and then go, go on Curtis Jones especially knowing that your pivot isn't He's not the strongest in, in that position of being a pivot. But it's not all doom and gloom. But transfer businesses are needed to revive that. In the previous podcast, I, I was quite skeptical about the transfer business. Since then, Liverpool have been quite active in the transfer market. Unfortunately, not successful. Um, but they have shown that they are they are willing. They have the 110 million. Obviously, now that means clubs are going to look to get more out of them. And this is how the, the, the game works. This is how the market works. But Liverpool have to get at least one one CDM and a left, left centre-back. They just have to do that because Robertson is also looking vulnerable. But yeah, um, to, I guess, 
summarizes the the performance into into a few lines. Not the best, not great, but there are moments of of optimism. There are moments of great cynicism and, and great negativity. There are still a lot of structural issues. There are still a lot of positional issues. There are still a lot of sort of I think even build up issues. Um, defensively in transition, settled defense. We know that those those are issues. The press is still not as coherent as as we like it to be. But we definitely have the firepower to win games, and I think that's what we need to start doing. We need to win games, so then the solutions sort of it becomes more of a learning experience for players rather than sort of a a negative vibe where they have to fix mistakes. It's sort of more like we're winning, but these are we're make, still making some of these mistakes. So let's work hard on training and let's get better and better every game. I think that's what the focus should be. Bournemouth is going to be a test as well. Bournemouth play in a very interesting way, um, and that's going to be another test as well. Um, hope you guys enjoyed this Liverpool breakdown. Um, this was episode two, uh, breaking down the Chelsea game. We'll be back next week with a breakdown of the Bournemouth game. Uh, perhaps I might be even be back earlier with a preview of the Bournemouth game. Um, if you are enjoying this sort of tactical breakdown and this sort of just nuanced insight onto into what goes on in these Liverpool games, please give a follow on your podcast app so you can be notified when I upload, usually a day or two after each Liverpool game. Please rate me five stars. It really helps getting the podcast out there. And if you can also manually share and spread the word around to your friends and families and those you know, um, because this my goal is to grow this into one of the top Liverpool podcasts of this season. And obviously, I will also have my other Sports Dome main podcast running alongside where I'll be reviewing the Premier League and football in general, cricket, tennis, etc. Till then, Liverpool fans, I'll catch you next week. And Sports Dome fans, I'll catch you later in the week. For a detailed breakdown of the sports week that was. Thank you. See you soon.